Nomad Podcast. Hello, people. Um, today's episode, we will have a very special guest, but I won't spoil anything right now. But I just quickly wanted to inform you, I'm alone today, so my mom is not here. But let's jump right into the episode, and hopefully you will enjoy that one. So, let's go. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Nomad Podcast. And today I have Adrian with me. And Adrian, why don't you start talking about yourself and who you are and what you do in the Bitcoin space? Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Well, a little bit of background on me. Uh, I discovered Bitcoin back in 2016. Uh, at the time, I was in the U.S. government, in the U.S. military, and I needed a security clearance to do my job. And so with the use of Bitcoin at the time, I really didn't jump into it and go down the rabbit hole. Uh, it wasn't later until I was living in Tallinn, Estonia, that I saw that the government there used um, blockchain technology for their voting system and for their medical care system, which I found really interesting. And that pushed me to go and actually start to study Bitcoin and go down the rabbit hole. Uh, 2018 is when I actually started getting into Bitcoin, really. It's when I bought my first hardware wallet and when I started doing self-custody. And I've been orange-pilled ever since. That's nice. Um, so, first question. Um, well, actually, you already answered that in a sense. But um, what when you get when you got into Bitcoin? Was it hard at the time, or was it like uh, I understand it, I get it, or did you did you need help, or was it just something that you immediately got? So. You know, I, I didn't get it the first time. I actually have a Twitter account that I've had for a long time, and I had a tweets about Bitcoin from like 2011. I didn't get it in 2011. Wish I did, obviously. Um, but it, it did take a lot of self-study. Yeah, there were videos. Um, Andreas Antonopoulos was probably one that most people from that time frame really looked at. And uh, it took a lot of self-study. I have a background in information technology and cybersecurity. So it, it did start to make sense uh, for me. But for folks who don't have a, a more technical background, it could be a little bit more challenging. But, uh, you know, reading books, jumping into podcasts and understanding the underlying technology of like SHA-256, hash uh, functions, Merkle trees and things like that. Uh, cryptography were a natural transition for me, but it wasn't instantaneous. I would say that it took, you know, self-study of about two to three months of really diving in to really understand Bitcoin. Um, before you said you were a former uh, officer, so you're a veteran, if I get that, if I got right, right? right? Yeah, yeah, that's um, correct. I was in the military, U.S. military for 21 years, uh, had a background, like I said, information technology, cybersecurity, yeah during that entire period. So how was it for you then when you basically, after you discovered Bitcoin, how how did your friends react? Were they like, oh, you're a Bitcoiner now? Oh, that means you're like a conspiracy theorist or or how was that for you? Because I had like a lot of, like a lot of my friends, oh, you're a Bitcoiner now. So you guys must be like all crazy somewhere around the world. So how was that for you actually? Did you get similar experiences yeah. or? Uh, not, not entirely, but I'll, I'll tell a quick story. So it, it was like in, I think it was 2013, I was at a cybersecurity conference and there were discussions on Bitcoin, Silk Road, Mt. Gox, Dark Web, and how it was used for illicit uses on, uh, over Tor network. And 
it, I didn't adopt Bitcoin at the time. I thought that, hey, this is probably something I should not be getting into. Um, but after I started to really go down the rabbit hole in 2016, 17 and 18 um, is when I discovered and started to adopt Bitcoin, but I did it entirely in stealth mode. And I'd say that I was a, a stealth Bitcoiner all the way up until I uh, transitioned out of the military for those reasons, just because uh, people come in with preconceived opinions about Bitcoin, you know, the crazy internet money. And I didn't want to have to to deal with that noise, so to speak. So really, I just kept to myself. Maybe my close friends and family knew that I was into Bitcoin, but that was the extent of it. I mean, yeah, I, I actually saw that today. There was like, you know, when the internet got invented, the whole media, the whole world basically was against it. Oh, it's going to it's gonna go bankrupt in the next like 10 years and it's going to go wrong like so horribly that people won't use it. And that's the same with Bitcoin. Like every day, if I watch the news, which I barely do, but if I watch them like for once, I always see like the title, like, oh, Bitcoin crashed to like whatever price or Bitcoin is like going down, it's going to. It's nothing, you know, I'm like, are you sure you also said that about like the internet like 10 years ago and now it's like look where we are today. So, um, yeah, that's like, yeah, just that it's mindset. funny. I posted, yeah, I posted a, a picture um, and I can share it with you for post-production later on. Um, but there's news articles that said uh, radio is dead and then video games are dead. The internet is dead. Bitcoin is dead. and all of those uh, could not be further from the truth. So I, I agree with you. I think a lot of mainstream media has uh, a narrative that they're trying to fulfill. So I don't watch a lot of news. I don't pay attention to it. I think most of it is just noise. Yeah, and also uh, just bullshit, so, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> yeah. But um, as a person who lives in the US, how is it like with Bitcoin? Is it like a regulated space or is it like, you know, do people even care if it's regulated or how is that? You know, do you guys just use Bitcoin or you know, is there like a certain adoption? So, Yeah, the challenge with the regulation right now is every Bitcoin transaction, uh, every spend is a taxable event. So most of the Bitcoiners I know um, are using it primarily as a store of value. A lot of people are transitioning over to the Lightning Network or to Liquid Bitcoin to transact as a medium of exchange. And of those folks that do that, myself included, um, primarily do it in a, a spend and replace type of function. Or uh, I know a lot of folks will use the Strike app um, because yeah. you hold US dollars there and then it automatically converts uh, and pays over a lightning channel. So because you bought and then sold it, you know, within seconds, there is no taxable event there. Um, as far as Bitcoin adoption and acceptance, it's, it's really hard to find people to, uh, or businesses, especially that are accepting mm -hmm. Bitcoin or lightning payments. Um, where I do see a lot of it is in tipping as an example, um, my barber, I've convinced my barber to accept tips in Bitcoin. And so we do that over Lightning. I got them to download a Phoenix wallet. So whenever I get my haircut, instead of paying in my tip, I mean, I'll pay for the haircut to the barber shop, but I'll pay for the tip uh, over Lightning. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's also, I personally also believe that's how we should 
you know, do it. That's how we should, we should use it. It's like, because no Satoshi, when he invented Bitcoin, I, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not against hodling or like, like uh, sats and all that stuff, but I think we should use Bitcoin more than rather just keep it, you know, we should, it's peer to peer, right? So, um, but yeah, um, a rather personal question as a family father, sure. uh, as a father figure also, um, how is it for you to explain that to your family, to your kids, you know? How do you explain them in the simplest way what Bitcoin is, you know, or how the blockchain works? Or is there like a simple way to do that? Or do you just don't even tell them because it's like too complicated for them? Yeah, the I haven't actually gone and tried to orange pill my kids yet. They're a little bit younger. Yeah, um, so. And so I think that the, the technical foundations, um, they would lose interest almost immediately. And then from a personal security perspective, I also, you know, they know that, I mean, you can kind of see I've got some memorabilia in the background. Um, they know that I am a Bitcoiner, but I also tell them, hey, this isn't something that you tell all your friends and all your yeah. teachers just because people don't need to know about it. Um, but they understand from a, a zoomed out perspective that, uh, you know, there are underlying reasons and primarily I talked when I talk to them, it's, it's based on scarcity, but there are reasons why, um, over a long, long, uh, time horizon, the value of Bitcoin, uh, will eventually go up. And that at this point, I think that's all they need to, to know and understand is, yeah, we have Bitcoin as a solution to inflation and monetary debasement. And it's something that, uh, people outside of our circle of friends and family don't necessarily need to know about. Bitcoin is a quiet and peaceful revolution, if you want to say so. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's like the next dollar or next euro, but it's the solution to a lot of problems that we face in the world currently. So, um, yeah, I mean, also what you said with, with explaining it to children, because it's too technological i think that's the number one problem that we have today as bitcoiners because if i want to explain it to people they don't get it immediately because it is just you need to have like some sort of it background or some maths background because you know i'm 18 and i love maths that's why i got bitcoin like that you know immediately so that wasn't too hard for me but when i explained it to like my friends they they didn't get it and they were like ah oh, are you sure it's gonna work or this is gonna you know change the world i'm like yeah I mean, either that option or just stay in the system, you know? So, I mean, um, I live, I'm a nomad, so I travel around the world. And I noticed that no matter what country, always the hardworking people or the people who know what it means to make money, they understood Bitcoin. They, they immediately got it. But, you know, all these guys who go to their universities, to their colleges, they, they didn't get Bitcoin. They, they were like, oh, are you sure? And then... Those are also all the people who watch like mainstream media stuff, you know, and that was like, that was like crazy, you know, so. Yeah. What I find interesting, and I think Jeff Booth has like the, the best analogy when he says that trying to evaluate a new system uh, and all the unique and intrinsic values of the new system while in the old system is what makes it difficult. And I agree with you. Some of the smartest people that I know. Mm -hmm. Don't get Bitcoin because 
they're clouded by, you know, their expertise in another field and they're, they're not willing to zoom out or look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. And they probably also think because they have like a doctor degree or like, a, I don't know, some sort of degree, they're like totally smart and they're like the smartest person uh, in the world, you know? So it's like, that's, I had that a lot. So, uh, so yeah. Um, okay. Um, 2024. So we're in 2024 people and April, about April, there's the next halving. I hope it's going to be around my birthday because I, my birthday is on the 8th of April. Who knows? Maybe it will be there then. Um, but yeah, I mean, thoughts on that. What do you think is going to, it's going to happen? What price will be, you know, and just stuff like that. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately I think it's going to be after your birthday. Uh, I've been watching some of the countdowns just to see. Uh, we'll see if it actually lands on 420 or not. Um, but as far as the price action, you know, looking at it from a historical perspective, roughly, um, you know, 150 to 180 days after the halving, you typically don't see uh, a massive run up. Mm. I expect we'll probably see, from a U.S. perspective at least, I expect we'll see some... Uh, some volatility and sell the news just like we did with the spot ETF. Um, but at the same time, that's, that's kind of a, a short-term perspective. I think a lot of people in Bitcoin, I think the having is going to be great. It's going to be phenomenal. We're going to cut the supply issuance in half down to roughly 450 Bitcoin uh, per day, but I don't think it's going to be an immediate yeah. shock to the system. It's, it's definitely going to take, time. I think uh, 2025 is actually going to be more interesting than 2024. Yeah. So you, so you, I, if I understood that right, you would say that 2025 is going to be like a good year for us, basically. And currently it's like, yeah, I think that's when a lot of things are going to start to happen. You know, the, the spot ETF, as we can see, it didn't create, um, you know, an immediate gamma candle or um, we're not going to see an immediate gamma candle with the having. Um, if, if we look at it from like rational roots, spiral chart perspective, um, it, it takes time. And I think his current models have the all time high at a roughly December of 2025. Okay. okay. That's cool. So keep holding your Bitcoins people. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you also mentioned the spot ETF. Um, I will also quickly talk about that. Um, when you when you heard the news like spot ETF, we're gonna do that soon. We're gonna release that soon. What were your thoughts on that? Because I personally thought like, is it really good? I mean, it's good for Bitcoin because it it could pump the price up, right? But that wasn't the case now, as we saw. So what was what were your first thoughts on that when you when you heard about that? Yeah. So personally, I think self custody is the ultimate solution to holding Bitcoin, holding uh, a spot ETF is just fiat wrapped paper Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, you introduce counterparty risk and you're still trapped in the fiat world because it's got to be fiat in. And then when you eventually decide to sell, it's going to be fiat out. Um, but the biggest thing that I think that they bring along is more mainstream acceptance and adoption. Mm -hmm. If you have the biggest countries in the world with assets under management, you know, on the order of trillions and their believers in Bitcoin, then 
you know, normies, maybe they take the time to think and look and say, hey, maybe there is some merit or some credit to this asset. And it's not just crazy, funny internet money. Yeah. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me with the ETFs. I think that's also, you know, like Larry Fink, personally, people always say that he's like orange-pilled and he understands Bitcoin. I don't think so. He just wants to make money, to be honest. But uh, um, that's also, I think, I I don't want, you know, I trust, I don't trust those people, but I think they're good for us because we, we gain numbers from that. If 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 someone believes the system, but now suddenly the system says, oh, buy a spot ETF or buy a Bitcoin spot ETF, you know, whatever. They're going to do it. And then eventually they come to us and ask us and want our opinion. So that's like, that's like a good input right there. So, um, I mean, also Mike Casario, for example, or Jack yeah. Dorsey, those, th those are like the, the ones which are pushing Bitcoin and going into interviews into like Fox media and CNN, you know, all those medias. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, it's not like I don't. How should I explain this? You know, I personally think it's good that they help us, but we shouldn't put our trust into those people. Sometimes, you know, you understand what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, sure they help us, but you know, they're still like mainstream, or they used to. As I mean, Chuck Dorsey used to be like a mainstream guy, you know. Uh, so, but you understand what I'm saying, you know? So. Yeah, I think I think overall the ETFs um are a net positive for the entire industry. Yeah. There are uh there are absolutely some negatives. Like I said, you know, introducing counterparty risk, not your coins or not your keys, not your coins, um, and being trapped in the in the fiat system. But ultimately it's it's about messaging. So the if there is acceptance in the asset class, then it's going to introduce other people to adopt Bitcoin. And the other part of it, too, is somebody who owns, you know, a portfolio of assets and has a small allocation to a Bitcoin ETF. If they're paying attention and, you know, over a five or a 10 year period, that one particular small allocation outperforms everything else in their portfolio, they're probably going to wonder why. And they'll probably start to study Bitcoin. And so overall, yes, there are negatives, um, but I think it's a net positive. I mean, also what after what happened in 2008, like the financial crash and all that stuff, I mean, a lot of people actually had mortgage or houses, they were like completely fucked at the end of the day. And I think also... Um, you know, my mom, she was a banker when about when about 18, she got into banking and she immediately around like 22, she said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out of that. I'm gonna be self-employed, self-employed. I'm, I'm not gonna continue that path. And she basically told me that in 2008, they, the banks already knew like three years before that something like this crash is gonna, is going to happen and that people will lose their houses the mortgage you know whatever and they just didn't care they just said you know what fine they lose it but i'm gonna stay rich you know and that's like that's like how can you think like that those and plus the money in the bank that which is like really interesting if you put money in the bank nowadays that money is no longer yours it's the bank's now although you it's your money that you paid 
into the bank. You know, that's like completely crazy. So, um, but yeah, I mean, also topic financial crash, Black Swan event. I mean, you guys in the US had like some banks which got bankrupt, right? So how was that for you? I mean, when you noticed that and when you saw those things happening? Yeah, I, I, I think it's an interesting topic. So early 2023, you know, we had three major bank failures, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, and Signature Bank. Um, and at the time, I thought it was, you know, writing on the wall of what's to come and what's going to happen to small and regional banks. And then the government came in and kind of backstopped all the depositors, all the people and companies that, that bank with those three institutions. Um, so they, they effectively stopped what was going to happen. And then we see again in January here in 2024, um, another bank failure. And then when we look at, you know, from a global perspective, what's happening in uh, China and the commercial real estate um, area over there, um, I don't know that the worst is over yet. Um, as far as the banking industry and like you highlighted the fractional reserve lending and bank deposits are just IOUs, yeah. you know, once you deposit money, that is the property of the bank to do what they want and they loan it out to other people. And that's, and that's a loan that you made to them and they pay you the interest on that particular loan and you have a claim to it, but the bank doesn't necessarily have that money there for you when you want to withdraw it. Um, so yeah, I think long-term, um, based on the manipulation of the financial system and the, the ability to debase the currency and print money out of nothing, there's, there's still a lot of turmoil in, in the banking system overall. And I think that's the benefit of, of Bitcoin is it allows people to opt out of that manipulated system and move to something that's decentralized with no central authority, and that is completely transparent, audited every 10 minutes. Those are the beautiful things about Bitcoin. Yeah, and also, um, I think personally, our generation, I mean, my generation and generally like your generation, we have, our lives are too good. We, we don't know what it means to have like a hard life. That's why people also trust like governments and the system because they, they feel too good. And I think the only way to make them believe that the government is not what it is, they have to experience something horrible. And that's just, you know, like financial crash, if I want to say so, which is, which sounds harsh, but it sounds also, it's also the truth. And I think through that truth, they will also discover things like Bitcoin, which will, at the end of the day, will be the only thing that will be left, you know? So, um, I mean, we also had that in, because I'm from Switzerland. Um, when Credit Suisse was like, oh yeah, bankrupt, you know, that was like the horrible, that was the most horrible thing. If Credit Suisse wouldn't have been saved by the state and by the U by UBS, whole Switzerland would have been bankrupt. That would have been like a total disaster. You know, Switzerland was always so rich and famous and nice, who has like so man so much gold. I mean, gold. As gold would be something good nowadays. I mean, Bitcoin is digital gold basically. But anyway, um, you know, that was like. People don't realize that stuff. They, they they don't even want to look at that stuff. So, like, what the hell, you know? So that was like, that was crazy, actually, because 
I mean, yeah, it's Switzerland, you know, it's rich, famous, as I said. So, yeah, I think the, and that's part of the challenge with orange pilling people is, you know, kind of meeting them where they are, understanding, you know, what affects their day-to-day lives, what are their pain points, and then that provides an avenue to discuss things that would make sense to them. A lot of times people are complaining here about, you know, the price of groceries Mm -hmm. or the price of housing. And so when you can take that avenue of approach and discuss, yeah, why are groceries going up? Or, you know, mainstream media said that inflation is down, but prices are still going up. And you can start to educate them and inform them of just because inflation is down doesn't mean prices go down. And I think they've actually said, whatever inflation is, prices are never going to go back down to the where to where they were and so it's it's a lot of education um from a foundation of what people already know and understand i mean people topic home alone with kevin being home alone he goes into like the supermarket and like he buys like basic stuff like milk water eggs meat he pays like 20 bucks back then and nowadays it would be like at least 100 bucks so that's like crazy how much basically our money is like gone like from really you know one dollar is equal to one dollar like now one dollar is like equal to something you know that's like that's like crazy i mean i mean my grandpa used to tell me that um when he was younger around like 12 14 if he bought like some stuff like milk he wouldn't even pay like one dollar he would pay like 50 cents you know that's like that's like nothing and nowadays it's like three dollars you know it's like that just shows how much prices have gone have uh, gone up in the like past seventy years. So um, yeah. Um, also, one more thing. That was that's actually yeah. the last question of this show. Um, what do you think of Christine Lagarde, the head of the European Central Bank? Fast on her, so <laughs> you can say whatever you want. You can curse at her. I'm not gonna cut it out. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I will I will bin her in with a lot of the other talking heads, and I'll say that um, I don't listen to what they say. Um, instead, I try to watch what they do. Um, you, we see it a lot here in the U.S. when um, the talking heads on mainstream media will say one thing and do another, and and really that is that I think that is part of the problem you know the mainstream media narrative uh with the intent or at least my opinion the intent to manipulate the people to move in a particular direction i think that's part of the the biggest problem that we have right now and while i uh, appreciate social media i think that's a contributing factor as well with big technology and algorithms on you know you you name the social media platform to prioritize different messages in line with the narrative that they support. And so for all of those, you know, I'll kind of pay attention to the words they say, but it's not going to move the needle for me and it's not going to change my behavior. I'd much prefer to watch what, what they do collectively, try to zoom out and see uh, what the big picture is in the direction that they're trying to move towards. I mean, it also already starts with the CBDC, you know, how they try to complete that. Although it actually, in my opinion, doesn't work because you need like so much. I mean, 
if banks have like two stores just full of servers, you know, with all our data, you know, how, how are they going to do that with traveling and with ID 2020 or whatever they have planned, you know? So, yeah. Um, you also, uh, before you also said something about that you just don't bother what people say. And especially in social media. Topic also social media, quickly. Because I personally believe that Twitter is and LinkedIn are like Bitcoin space. Like the Bitcoin space, basically. Like Bitcoiners are all on Twitter or LinkedIn. But do you also think we will see some adoption on Instagram or Facebook? Or do you think that's like, they're like centering stuff like that? So, or... Um... I don't personally, I don't think so. Um, I think that the algorithms behind uh, Facebook and Instagram um, are far too manipulated. Uh, I agree with you um, as far as LinkedIn and Twitter, especially. Yeah, there, there's a lot of signal in the noise there, but you've got to make sure that you're following and subscribe to the right people. Yeah. Um, and and then at the same time, you've also got to step out of the echo chamber and, and see, you know, I, I like to go and do what I call argue the opposition. And so I will seek out who's got the best argument against Bitcoin. And mm -hmm. so I've listened to, uh, you know, Peter Schiff and, and Gammon, George Gammon, Mike Green, uh, who's got the best argument? Because I want to I want to have a peek inside of their brain to see. Uh, either make me think um, maybe I'm wrong about Bitcoin. By the way, none of them have done that. Um, but ultimately, it just reinforces my belief, you know, in the technology, the asset, the network effects, the decentralization. Um, I, but I also think that there are emerging spaces, um, Noster especially, mm -hmm. that there's a lot of signal in as well. And so I think that, you know, the information is out there for people to study and learn Bitcoin. Sometimes they just need somebody to, to show them the way. Personally, that mate, that was like the perfect ending to this episode. So, uh, um, is there anything else you would like to say, like a message or so? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, first want to say thanks for having me on your pod. Um, and then just for any of your, your viewers or listeners, um, if, if you're not already into Bitcoin, I would say study Bitcoin and get off zero. And when I say get off zero, I don't mean get off zero and go buy Bitcoin, you know, right after listening to this. Um, what I mean by get off zero is get off zero knowledge and learn about, you know, Bitcoin and the underlying asset. Because if you run out the door, and buy it tomorrow, the next 20% dip, you're probably going to capitulate and sell because you don't know the underlying technology. But once you study Bitcoin and you understand the opportunity it provides, then you're probably never going to sell or you're going to, you know, spend and replace. But that's my message is get off zero knowledge, study Bitcoin. So people don't be greedy. Study Bitcoin. Don't be greedy. Um, okay, uh, dear people, make sure to check Adrian's social media. Uh, you have LinkedIn and Twitter, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, I will link that down below. And thank you, Adrian, for joining us on this podcast, on this episode. And so, people, this was another episode of Nomad Podcast. 
Uh, I really liked it. I hope you, the viewers and listeners, did as well. I also hope you did that, Adrian. And thank you. Big thank you to you. And hopefully, see you soon. And bye bye. Nomad Podcast.